a belated happy Easter and happy Passover to all of our Christian and Jewish listeners out there. We hope you had enjoyed your holiday with your families uh, and uh, all went well. We've got a lot to talk about today and I want to get straight to it. But before I do, I want to remind you that if you do not already subscribe to the show, you can do so in one of three easy ways. You can either go to the Google Play Store or the iTunes App Store, and when you get there, you can either A, search for the Jamie Jury Show podcast and subscribe directly using those native podcast aggregator apps, or you can search specifically for the Podbean app, which is our hosting service, and you can subscribe to the show that way. Either way you choose to subscribe, you will be able to leave comments, leave reviews, and we really would like many of both. Give us a good review. Give us a five-star review. The more reviews we get of a highly positive nature, the more we, uh, we can offer you because the faster the show will grow. And we just hope that there'll be no, no ceiling, at least not any ceiling that's going to be very meaningful. We have plenty of room to grow, and we'd like, we need you to help us achieve that goal. But right now, there's been a couple of issues that have uh, been on my mind, uh, and I wanted to speak about them. I've been a little bit busy the past week or so what with the holidays and preparing. Uh, but today, there were two big Supreme Court decisions, so I wanted to speak about those and then segue from that into what I'm, ta- what I'm going to talk about um, today. And the Supreme Court decisions of which I speak are as follows. First, not such a big one, but the Supreme Court refuses to hear the COVID-19 vaccine mandate challenge from the New York City Teachers Union. And that's significant because the liberals and the teachers union is certainly dominated by liberals, particularly in the city of New York. uh, They always look to the courts for relief when they don't like what's being put upon them. In this case, The chickens are coming home to roost. They voted for a leftist mayor by the name of Bill de Blasio, who put the mandate in place, one which the new mayor, Eric Adams, has seen fit not to overturn. And they're living under this mandate from this liberal leftist mayor. So then they go to the Supreme Court in an attempt to get it overturned because lower courts did not satisfy them. A lower court ruling in the district court went against the union. And the Second Circuit, which oversees the state of New York and several others, also upheld that lower court ruling. Now, when people appeal to the Supreme Court, the federal court system, aside from having district courts, has an appellate division. They're known as the circuit courts. And the 50 states are divided into 13 circuits. And how many states go into each circuit is a function of how large the state is in terms of population and how many cases they expect to hear. Uh, But they're divided that way. Now, a justice on the court is assigned a circuit. Since there are only nine of them, some of them are assigned more than one circuit if those circuits are less populated. Not surprisingly, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, who's one of the more liberal justices on the court, is the one who oversees the state of New York. So any appeals coming from there, she oversees it. They pitched this idea to her. She rejected it, meaning she would not put it on the court's calendar. They went to the court at large. They didn't want to put it on the calendar. So basically you had four teachers who said the COVID-19 
vaccine mandate rule violated their right to keep their profession. And they took their appeal to the Supreme Court uh, after I said the state court, the, the, I'm sorry, the district court and the circuit's court uh, declined. Now, under that mandate, if you recall, all New York City Department of Education employees who did not comply by getting the vaccine by October 1st of last year, 2021, were to be suspended without pay for up to one year. Now, the teachers involved in this litigation argued that the rule violated their due process rights and blocked them from practicing their profession because the city's Department of Education is the only agency in the city that publicly hires teachers. Well, doesn't mean you have to work for the city of New York, does it? You can ply your trade working in private school. You choose to work for the city of New York because you want enhanced benefits. Okay. Now, I would say that people like the police department and the fire department have a greater argument than the city's union, uh, teachers union. Would you not agree? Because there is no private sector employment for police officers. And there's no private sector employment for firemen. You either work for your municipality or you don't. You don't work for anybody else. There is no private police department or private fire department. But there are private schools and teachers can work there. Now, uh, a man named Vino Varghese, who represented the teachers union, uh, according to this article in the Epic Times, told Forbes on Monday that the teachers are disappointed in the result, but we will continue to fight to protect the due process rights of our teachers against the new administration of Mayor Eric Adams. Well, I don't know where they're going to continue this fight. The Supreme Court is usually the court of last resort, and they've declined to hear it. Um, The case presents the court with the opportunity to address a critical constitutional issue, whether public school teachers have a fundamental right to practice their profession. That's what they wrote in their brief. Apparently, that didn't uh, sit well with the court. It was unconvincing to them. The attorneys from the Corporation Council, which is the big law firm that the city employs, it's self-employed, to argue against them, said that the teachers made no attempt to explain how the vaccination requirement either prevented or even impaired their ability to work as teachers or paraprofessionals for another employee. So, uh, employer rather. So that, that went by the wayside. But I find it very interesting that... Um, how this liberalism has come back to bite the most liberal union in the city of New York right in the butt. They've had this mandate foisted upon them by a liberal mayor, and they had a liberal judge, whom they all supported when she was nominated by Barack Obama, tell them to go pound sand, because she's a big believer in this COVID nonsense. And I've already told you how that's a crock, and we'll be revisiting that. But let's get to something even more interesting. Do you remember when, back when Donald Trump was president? You remember those days when gas was $2 a gallon and we had no wars and we were actually bringing troops home and little renegades like that piece of garbage in North Korea and China and Russia and Putin were all very quiet because they had their mouths clamped down because they knew the United States was ready, willing, and able to do battle for freedom if need be. And sometimes the best way to avoid a war is to be eminently prepared for one. And we were. Now, of course, that's not the case. And elections do have consequences. And despite their attempt to erase 
every bit of Donald Trump's presidency and pretend in their own minds that it never happened, that it was just a bad dream. The realities of his tenure in office and the achievements that he managed to accomplish are still with us today. And you can find no more shining example than the Tax Reform Act, Jobs Act of 2017, which took effect in 2018, uh, and the Supreme Court's decision today not to hear an appeal by the state of New York to overturn that act on the basis that is unconstitutional. Now, that act, that statute, lowered tax rates, it broadened the standard deduction and child tax credit, and it limited the alternative minimum tax and various popular deductions, including the SALT deduction. Now, what is the SALT deduction? The SALT deduction is simply a cap on the deductibility of state and local taxes. Now, this case is called New York versus Yellen. It's filed against the current Secretary of the Treasury. It was begun when Steve Mnuchin was the Secretary of the Treasury, and now the lawsuit has reached its uh, fruition. Now, these states that are involved, in addition to New York, you have Connecticut, New Jersey, and Maryland in joining them. They claim that this SALT deduction cap is unconstitutional. But nobody in, in the federal judiciary has taken on this argument and thought that it had any, any merit to it. The states had argued that Congress's imposition of a $10,000 cap on the deduction of state and local property and income taxes from their federal taxable income violates Article One and Section 8, as well as the 10th and the 16th Amendments to the U.S. Constitution. Now, in 2019, a federal district court ruled against these states. And in October of last year, 2021, the Circuit Court of Appeals for the Second Circuit, which oversees New York, where this was, and Connecticut, and New Jersey, uh, did the same. Now, as I said, this statute lowered tax rates. It increased the standard deduction and child tax credit. At the same time, it limited the alternative minimum tax and other popular deductions, including this deduction of state and local taxes, which had previously been unlimited. Now, the vast majority of Americans, as a consequence of this act, according to the Tax Foundation, which is a nonprofit group, received a net tax cut. Now, I've been in favor of this for a long time. Now, I understand why people in the states where they had these high taxes are against it. But let's look at the reality of it. Most economists, or a significant number, believe that limiting the SALT deduction supports economic growth because it puts pressure uh, on high-tax states like the ones who are participating in this lawsuit, to lower their tax rates. They also say it's a fairer approach because it stops the residents of low-tax states from effectively subsidizing those in high-tax states. So let me give an example. New York State is one of the highest tax states in the country, maybe the highest, most expensive place to live. By allowing residents of the state of New York and other high-tax states like the state of New Jersey, to deduct in full all of the taxes they pay in the state of New York, 
their deductions may be so high that they may wind up paying little or no federal tax. Now, the federal government, for most people, uh, has the bigger tax bill for most people in most states. Most people pay a lot more to the federal government than they do to their state and local government, and for good reason. Federal government is responsible for a lot, like common defense, maintaining interstate highways. There's a whole plethora of things that the federal government does. And so people in states that had very little tax or low tax um, complained that they were subsidizing uh, the tax bill for residents of New York State because they really weren't paying anything. And the people in the state of New York uh, were subdued and duped into thinking they really weren't getting hit that badly because they really never felt the full weight of their federal tax bill because they were offsetting their federal tax bill with these exorbitant uh, deductions uh, based on their state and local taxes. Now, other conservatives, including the late Rush Limbaugh, made a point of saying, hey, you're so fond of living in a high-tax state, you're so fond of that leftist ideology, pay the freight. You want to live there? Pay for it. So what will happen is, if states want to keep people from fleeing their state, now that they're going to learn a very hard lesson that they can't get rid of this thing unless Congress gets rid of it, that the court system is not going to toss it based on it being unconstitutional, there's only one way to do it. You have to trim their belts, tighten them up, stop spending frivolously, stop engaging in social engineering so you can cut your tax rates. Because if you don't cut your tax rates, people are going to continue to flee the state. Now, my, my sister and um, her ex-husband, they had a very lovely home in a very lovely suburb of the city of New York. They paid a considerable amount of money for the home. They paid over a million and a half dollars. And they put a lot of money into it. They expanded the square footage to the point where it was a pretty substantial home, almost 5,000 square feet, with an unfinished 2,600 square foot basement. Do you know what their property taxes were? $1,000 a week. That's 50000 a year. So by the time they finished paying their property taxes and their state income taxes and deduct all that from their federal taxes, they were probably paying very little or no federal income tax. And that's the point. People in these other states are saying, why are people in the state of New York not paying their fair share of federal income tax? Well, now, in the advent of, these, of this tax act, that was passed in 2017, people now really see the full impact of what they're paying in New York State. And either you're going to be content to pay this, or you're going to start voting for people that are willing to lower your tax rate. So the reality is coming home to roost. So the focus of the, the show today is all about on the law and the judiciary. But there's a bigger issue, something else I wanted to talk about. And I'm segueing into this because the courts is generally how the liberals try and rule the country or govern a country against the will of the people. How interesting, in these two particular cases, the courts are sticking it right to the liberals. And the court itself just had a new justice appointed. Justice Stephen Breyer is going to be retiring at the end of the term because so aghast were the liberals at the replacement of the late Ruth Bader Ginsburg by Donald Trump in the way of Amy Comey Barrett 
They didn't want to see another liberal justice potentially replaced because Breyer is the oldest man on the court right now. So even though they have lifetime appointment, they've done something they've never done before. They've turned on him and they pressured him to retire so that while they had a Democrat in the White House, they could put a very, very young person on the court and hope to have that seat for decades. So they put this Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson on the court. She is as left as you can get. She was far less than transparent, refusing to answer questions. They all seem to do the same thing. Thank you very much for that question, Senator. It's a pleasure to be here. All to chew up time so they don't have to answer questions. We all know what she is. She's an ideologue, and she doesn't belong on the court. But she's there. Fortunately, as long as no other vacancies take place, they really haven't tipped the ideological balance of the court because it is now 6-3, mildly conservative, because Roberts, you never know. But it's definitely solidly 5-4 conservative. Could be 6-3 in a lot of cases. So by replacing Breyer with her, it's still 6-3. They haven't made any gains. But that's their new plan. As soon as someone gets old, they're going to get rid of them. Now, they can't get rid of <clears throat> Kagan or Sotomayor because they're both women, and they're both young enough that they've got a good run left. So they're going to look to replace a conservative justice if one gets ill because they can't force him out. So we'll see what happens with that. But why? Why this big focus on the judiciary? Well, because there's another thing that's going on. The liberals, through the funding of George Soros are trying to undermine the laws of the states of the Union and even federal law, but particularly states of the Union. And how are they doing this? By funding in populated cities and areas, district attorneys who are running for office, who as a matter of policy, are going to decline to enforce the law. Now, I don't mean on a case-by-case basis decline to prosecute a particular criminal because the facts indicate it is in the interest of justice to do so. I'm talking about wholesale, voluntary election of non-enforcement of entire categories of crimes as a matter of policy. Now, there's a great legal debate in the legal community as to whether or not this sort of discretion falls within the traditional prosecutorial discretion that elected prosecutors normally enjoy. There are some who will say it does. I say it does not. Because in order for it to have that sort of validity, in order for prosecutors to have that kind of discretion, they would literally render the legislatures in the various states moot. What purpose is there in legislatures enacting statutes and laws, if prosecutors can just simply disregard them at their whim. These legislatures are just as much elected by the people and express the will of the people ostensibly through their votes. No, this is an unconstitutional thing. This is an illegal thing. Prosecutorial discretion, in my view, and the view of most legal scholars means that they can make a case-by-case decision to prosecute or not prosecute 
depending on the individual facts of that case before them. Not to wholesale decide, we're no longer going to prosecute uh, Grand Theft Auto. We're no longer going to prosecute armed robbery. We're no longer going to prosecute pettit larceny. No. Prosecutorial discretion means they get a young man, never been in trouble with the law before. He's involved in drug trafficking. Maybe they decide not to prosecute him. He's involved in a robbery. Maybe they decide not to prosecute him. That's a case-by-case basis. But George Soros is funding these lunatic DAs for the purposes of undermining the laws of this country, for the purposes of undermining and changing the relevant cultural ethos of this country, and to enable uber-leftist organizations to riot, pillage, and plunder with abandon and impunity. We saw this with the BLA, uh, BLM protests um, in the summer of 2020 as they burned cities and wreaked havoc, non-prosecutions being the result. We saw it in Missouri. Let's go over some of these wacky DAs. I'm going to try and find a list here for you. Here we are. He's just a few. Scott Colum and Robert Shuler Smith. Andrew Warren, Hillsbury County, Florida. Kim Fox, Cook, Cook County, Illinois. She's the one involved in the Jesse Smollett case. They didn't want to prosecute him, even though he was guilty. Kim Ogg, Harris County, Texas. Aramis Ayala, Orlando, Florida. Larry Krasner, Philadelphia. Joe Gonzalez, Bexar County, Texas. And he did this with sizable sums of money, 400000 600000 1.4 million, 1.45 million, 958000 And a lot of this money is donated by Soros through funds that his Open Society Foundation controls. The American Immigration Council, Fair Immigration Reform Movement, Faithful America, Immigration Advocates Network, National Council of La Raza, National Immigration Forum. These are just a few. All of these things to try and undermine the very fabric of society and every cultural norm we have come to know and live by. It's a new world order where the rights of the criminal to be free from prosecution, the rights of the perceived oppressed to be able to exact their own form of unique revenge by being allowed to pillage and plunder with impunity those of us who work for a living now surpass the rights of people who work for a living and support society with their labor and tax dollars. So now the law-abiding are the ones who are wrong, and they deserve to be victimized because their ancestors uh, were guilty of some perceived wrong. Well, I got news for you, these people who are big fans of critical race theory and reparations for African Americans. Look, no one's going to argue, at least of all, not me, that slavery was right. Slavery was wrong, and we put an end to it because of it. And many people who were not black died in that fight known as the Civil War over 160 years ago. But that doesn't mean that every surviving descendant of slaves is now entitled to money. Now, if there were monetary damages being given out at the time of slavery, 
Those who grew up in slavery would certainly be entitled to some money. No question about it. But the descendants, five generations removed, I don't think so. You'd have to make the case that their life has been irreparably altered for the worse because of their slave status. Now, I don't say that their lives have been enhanced by their ancestral slave heritage, but I do say that their lives have been enhanced by virtue of the fact that they are living, growing up, and present in the United States of America. Because if their ancestors were not wrongfully taken here as slaves, they would not be in the United States now, these people who are living in the present day. They would be living in their ancestral homelands. Africa is a third world country. It's beautiful in nature. It's beautiful in geography in many places. It is bereft of any modernization other than perhaps in the city of Johannesburg, South Africa. There are very few modern cities in Africa. There's very little to recommend Africa other than as a vacation spot to go see nature, to see something reminiscent of the North American prairie uh, that's now gone. And by that, I mean going to see the African savanna. Yes, you can see nature firsthand there. That's a great thing. But the, the notion that these people would be better off living and working in Africa than they are working here just doesn't hold water. So this is a bunch of nonsense. But yet we have liberal ideologues like George Soros who think that by hook or by crook, they're going to change this country where the people who live and work here and fund the government through their tax dollars and vote for people to make laws, whether they want to change it or not, we're just going to disregard what you have to say. Now, somewhere along the line, someone is going to have to take a stand and someone is going to have to bring the booted heel to bear on these rogue prosecutors and tell them, look, I don't care what you think you're entitled to do, you can't do it. And what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to get conservative governors elected in these states, and these governors are going to have to remove these prosecutors who are in violation of their oath of office by refusing to enforce, as a matter of policy, not as an individual prosecutorial decision, statutes and laws duly enacted by the state legislatures and enforced by the executive branch. This cannot be allowed to endure. It's got to stop. But this is one of the many ways that they're undermining society. And we see this. We saw this in the 2020 election. The law proclaims that election laws in the states have to be changed by the legislature. Yet, the legislatures in many of these states abdicated their authority, and very surreptitiously, either the governors in those states and or the secretary of state of those states on executive fiat, changed the laws. And look what it wrought us. And interestingly, prior to the changing of those laws, ostensibly because of the pandemic, to allow absentee balloting and mail-in voting, no one had changed, had challenged, rather, the constitutionality of these election laws or accused these states of engaging in voter suppression. But now that these states wish to change the laws back now that the pandemic, which never was, 
is no longer a threat. Now they're coming under scrutiny by the Justice Department because they're seeking to engage in voter suppression. No, 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 no. Everything these liberals accuse the conservatives of is what they themselves are doing. They're the ones who are engaging in voter suppression. They want to neutralize the conservative vote by continuing to have these illegal phantom ballots foisted upon us and flooding the system. How do you get hundreds of thousands of ballots found in the middle of the night for Joe Biden? No other election candidate checked off. Just his name, because they were printed that way. 100,000 ballots are found, and not one of them for Donald Trump. You've got a better shot of winning lotto than that happening. And unfortunately, the mainstream media have completely abdicated their duties to bring you truth in news, truth in reporting, which is why podcasts are growing in leaps and bounds among the population segments that really wish to be in the know. I will tell you things here that other people simply aren't going to tell you. So once again, please subscribe to the show, the J.B. Dury Show podcast. Do so either through your iTunes app store or your Google Play store, because you'll find things here that you won't find other places. We'll talk about things here that other people just won't talk about. And we're not afraid to say what we think and say how we feel. And if you're listening to this show, you're probably the same kind of person. For the Jamie Dury Show podcast, I'm Jamie Dury.